Olá, pessoal. Tudo bem? Welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by Andres Engler, LATAM editor at Coindesk. Welcome, Andres. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. To get started, why don't you tell us a bit about Coindesk and what you do there? Mm -hmm, sure. Uh, Coindesk is, in my opinion, and according to data, uh, the leading media company in the crypto blockchain space. It has a news platform, a TV channel, uh, many podcasts, uh, and several newsletters. Uh, we also have an annual event, Consensus, which will be held uh, this year uh, in June in Austin. I think that you know better than me uh, what is Consensus. But at Coindesk, I, I serve as the editor for Latin America since uh, June of last year. And I cover the region. I commission features on, on Latin America too. And I'm working on several projects we have in Spanish. Uh, we currently publish a few daily articles in Spanish and we are trying to expand our range in that language. Uh, and also we have a partnership in Brazil with InfoMoney, which is a leading financial publication there. So I'm working on, on all that projects. Yeah, we just had Paulo from InfoMoney on the podcast. Yeah, so he was great. It was great. Really yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, and obviously, I'm, I used to work for Coindesk, full disclosure, so I'm a little bit biased. I agree that it's the best crypto media outlet out there, aside from Brazil Crypto Report, of course. I used to work on planning consensus and, and worked as an editor, reporter, and everything. So lots of affinity there. Well, tell me a bit about how you got into crypto and crypto journalism. Uh, I'm not a crypto early adopter or anything like that. Uh, I don't have a clear memory when I heard about Bitcoin for the first time or about crypto for the first time, but I think it was in 2014, 2015, I mean, it was too late. Um, back then, I was very much into the world of tech companies and venture capital funds. Uh, I was covering the, the Latin American startup ecosystem uh, for, for a local business uh, newspaper, El Cronista, here in Argentina, uh, where I live in Buenos Aires, and one of its magazine, Apertura. Years later, I, I think that four years, three years ago, um, there was like a crypto boom in Argentina. Uh, at that time, I think it was uh, 2019, uh, we had one of our worst economic crisis in the country where the, the Argentine peso dropped 30% in just one day and the government imposed several FS restrictions. And at that time, crypto was everywhere here in the country. So I started uh, looking for articles uh, for, uh, I mean, features, trying to write, to write features. At that time, I, I couldn't find any good crypto-focused media outlet in the region. So one, one day I decided to write an email to uh, an editor at Coindesk uh, asking him if I, uh, I could write a feature on, on the adoption of DAI, the stable coin in Argentina. And, and he said yes. So I started writing and doing translations as a freelancer at Coindesk. And now I'm a full-time uh, journalist there. But I was not uh, an early adopter of crypto. And, and I think that my, my crypto education took place in the last two years. The fun part about being a journalist is like, you kind of just learn on the fly about the subject that you're yeah. covering, right? Like anytime you move to a new beat, you kind of start over essentially, like your knowledge base is zero. Like, like who are these people? Who are these companies? What is this technology? 
what's all the politics and all the intangible stuff that you can't just read about and learn. You have to kind of just figure it out. Crypto is obviously a little bit more intense just because there's, it's like, there's so much going on and it's so in such an extreme, you know, like sometimes hostile environment in a lot of cases. Right. Mm -hmm. And at, at the same time, it, it was very easy because, I mean, not very easy, but easy because many tech entrepreneurs in Argentina moved from traditional fintech to crypto. So I knew every one of them and, and they start creating a crypto company. So I started talking to them and that was an easy way to get into crypto. Yeah. Well, and Argentina's contributed a lot over the years to the crypto ecosystem just generally. I mean, I, you know, Wences Casares was, he was one of the, er, I mean, he was one of the early. Yes. Uh, he was very early. Right. <laughs> back, back to like 2012, 2013. I mean, he was he was putting his reputation all in on crypto before, or on Bitcoin specifically back when everyone else thought it was just a scam, right? So I feel like people in Argentina or, or, or any sort of hyperinflationary you know, environment for that matter, recognize the value proposition a bit more than people who may have not lived through these types of crises in their lifetimes. Um, but yeah, 30% of day volatility. I mean, that's even, that's even extreme by you know, crypto standards, right? <laughs> if your currency is dropping by 30%. Yes, that, that, that was a... A crazy day, I remember, after the presidential elections uh, where the Pernism uh, came back to power and the markets were crazy that day. And at that time, people were looking for ways to hedge against inflation. And after, I think after October of that year, uh, the government imposed new FX, FX restrictions, sorry. Uh, so we didn't have uh, access to dollars. Now, currently in Argentina, we don't have access to dollars. We, we, can, we cannot buy more than uh, $200 per month. Mm. Uh, so you see that uh, exchanges here in Argentina are experiencing a, a boom uh, because people are allowed to, to buy crypto, but not dollars. They can buy, they can buy DAI or USDC, yeah. either, but they can't buy. Actually. Yes. Here in Argentina, DAI is king, but uh, people are very familiar with USDC, Tether, Ether, Bitcoin, but uh, DAI is like the most used stablecoin here. I guess that we could probably do a whole show just on that. <laughs> Let's pivot over to Brazil quick. Your thoughts on some of the recent news that's come out of Brazil, and then, then maybe we can kind of jump back into the other uh, markets that you cover across LATAM. In Brazil specifically, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's crypto legislation that's on the verge of being passed. There's you know, CZ and Binance and Coinbase are all kind of dancing in the country now. And there's seems like there's just a lot happening. I want to get your perspective on what's what, what do you find most interesting about what's happening in Brazil right now? I think that the big news today is that Coinbase is not going to acquire Macau Bitcoin. I don't know if you agree with me. Yeah. So, so yeah, big news of the day is that Coinbase is not acquiring Mercado Bitcoin now. Uh, what, what is your read into this? I don't know uh, the details of the conversation because uh, Mercado Bitcoin and, and uh, Coinbase didn't uh, make comments, but I think that uh, Coinbase decided to grow organically. I don't know if uh, the company is going to, to make another acquisition uh, in Latin America. I mean, in Brazil, it doesn't have any other option because Foxbit, it is a small company, doesn't have more than 1 million users and Ripio and Argentinian exchange uh, enter through a small acquisition, but it is not a huge uh, company in, in that country. So I think that this leaves the, the Brazilian m a crypto market wide open. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Coinbase will be able to 
grow very fast in Brazil as a bit. So it's trying to make huge steps there. And Mercado Bitcoin is, is the biggest uh, player in the country and a local player too. Yeah, I mean, it definitely shakes up the dynamic because you have, aside from Mercado Bitcoin, there's, as far as ac other acquisition targets, that would make sense for Coinbit. It doesn't seem like there's any other real low-hanging fruit, right? No. I don't know if Coinbase is going to try Bitso. Uh, despite some comments implying that negotiations between uh, both companies had not prospered in the past, but I think that could be a way for Coinbase to have a, a Latin American brand uh, across the region, from Mexico to Argentina. But I don't know if that's going to happen. But this is this is big news. I mean, uh, it was said that Coinbase was going to to, to buy the uh, Mercado Bitcoin, and that didn't happen. Maybe what's going on here is Coinbase is trying to sort of play Mercado Bitcoin and, and Bitso off against one another, right? Where Because they specifically included in that original article uh, in Estadão uh, that announced that they were looking to buy Mercado Bitcoin or 2TM, which is a parent company of Mercado yep. Bitcoin. The holding company. They specifically mentioned in there that they were in talks with Bitso and then those talks fell yep. through. So maybe they weren't able to get what they wanted out of Bitso. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess, I suppose we should invite Bitso onto the podcast to tell us their side of the story, you know, to the extent that they can. But, mm -hmm. but maybe, you know, they didn't get what they wanted out of Bitso. So they went to go play this game saying that they're going to acquire 2TM to put leverage on Bitso. With this M&A stuff, there's always a lot of like backdoor wheeling, into, which is kind of why it's this, this is fun to speculate on, I guess, even though we'll probably never know yeah. what actually happened. <laughs> but no, you, you never know. And, and this open, this could open uh, a door for for Binance. I don't know uh, what's going what's going to happen there, but uh, I think that Binance is more interested in acquire payment processors and, and a bank and a bank license, as uh, the CEO said recently. But behind that pursuit, I think that Binance's main, main purpose in Brazil is to get a license to operate. Uh, since there is a great urgency, I think, for the company to, to regularize uh, its tax and legal situation uh, in Brazil. That, that's my view. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, they don't they don't need users. They don't need volume. They just they just need the proper legal status to comply with rules end up being implemented uh, via this new law, right? So, whereas somebody somebody like a Coinbase that's coming in, I mean, if you're going to start organically, like you're starting from zero, you know, you've got to build your own base. You've got, and, and I think maybe maybe the example of Bitso has shown that that's maybe a little more challenging than they thought it would be. Just, I mean, they have they spent a lot of money, and it seems like they're doing all the right things, but it just you know. The hasn't been there but i mean i think they're they're in it for the long term so you're you know they've kind of sunk their heels in but uh, i think it just I, I think it's for any industry right brazil is just a difficult market to to just go set up a, a greenfield operation and, mm -hmm. and go organic yeah. yes it is not uh, a latin american traditional country i mean we, we say for example in argentina that uh, brazil is is another word it is it is not part of latin america because it speaks a, a different language it has a very different culture and and the market is huge i mean everything in brazil is huge compared to uh big uh, economies in in the region such as mexico or colombia um, I think that Coinbase is going to have uh, some obstacles to, to grow in, in the country because uh, it is quite unique in the region, Brazil. 
Do you know anything about this new country director that they just hired? He's this former like Uber. I think he was the the head of like Uber Eats for for Latam. Yes, his name is uh, Fabio Toneto Plain. He has, as as you said correctly, experience at Uber, and he has experience working for for another fintech company in the region. I don't know if he's uh, very close to the crypto market, but I suppose if uh, that if Coindesk said yes, he has something to to bring to to that market. Yeah, I suppose it's a question of he's got more. You know, he's got he's got the experience doing kind of growth hacking and scaling a, a, a business, an international business, in a new market in a market like Brazil and, and, and with a product like crypto, I mean, it, look, it's like, it kind of sells itself, right? <laughs> like you don't really, you know, at the end it, it's like, it's like selling like a really good vacuum cleaner or something. It's like, look how much dirt it sucks up. It's, you know, it's like, it's a good product, right? Yes. And, and he's, he's Brazilian. He's, he's a local and he knows the market for sure. I, I think this is a great moment for Brazil. Uh, this week, I think that Bybit said that it was entering uh, the Brazilian market, integrating uh, its platform with PIX, uh, the state-owned uh, payment system of, of Brazil. Binance is trying to grow there. I mean, B2Me, which is uh, the leading uh, Spanish crypto exchange, uh, started operations in Brazil uh, with a former Brazilian um, Binance director. I, I think his name is, is Ricardo. Uh, so too many players trying to attract uh, a huge mass uh, of users, so it's it's great news for for the crypto ecosystem in Brazil. I mean, the, the competition is good, right? That's the concern of a lot of people about this legislation, right? You're basically are you going to kick away the ladder, competition ladder, so much that it's only, it becomes kind of like this oligopolistic kind of cartel of an industry, similar to the current Brazilian banking industry, which is dominated by just you know a handful of not very like efficient institutions, right? You know, do you want to you know, if, if we end up in a world where it's like coin, it's coin-based Mercado Bitcoin and Binance that are the only real service providers in Brazil, then you're going to be basically just recreating the existing, you know, banking system to some degree. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the concern is, you know, are we just swapping out one form of financial oligopoly for another, <laughs> another form? Sure. And, and that could happen in the short term. I mean, the three companies could buy all the competitors in Brazil. They, they have uh, enough money to do that. That could happen this year, next year. I don't know, but that could happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If they wanted to, they could just ease. And FTX is there too, right? FTX has yeah public, but I mean, they're probably listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> and they're got <laughs> some ideas in the works that they're... I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on... You've been following Brazil very closely, but you're obviously... You're not Brazilian. You're based in Argentina. And I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on covering crypto in Brazil specifically versus kind of crypto in the rest of Latin America. Like, what do you find maybe most different about the two worlds or what's maybe challenging about Brazil that's maybe less challenging in other markets? To start, in, in Brazil, there is much more information available, both provided by companies, crypto companies, and by the government, which is not a minor thing when you are, are talking about Latin America. Uh, for example, in places like Argentina or Colombia or Mexico, you don't have all the all the numbers that uh, you have available uh, in Brazil. Uh, but despite the problems that the country has, uh, it has uh, agencies or entities like the Central Bank or uh, the, the Ministry of Finance that are very good compared to other countries. So that makes um, the coverage of Brazil easier 
than uh, compared to to places like Argentina or or Mexico, for example. And and as as I said before, Brazil uh, on the other hand is a different world in Latam. The market is huge. Uh, the scale is very very different, uh, and it has a totally different dynamic for companies. So maybe let's step back a bit and look at. The rest of the the broader LATAM region, which you obviously cover as well. I'm interested in what narratives are you interested in? Are you are you paying most attention to? You know, we've got a lot of things going on in you know, obviously El Salvador, uh, Argentina, as you mentioned. There's uh, Panama just uh, approved a new law. Uh, there, there's quite a lot of things happening in other countries that are they seem to be getting a bit more publicity. You know, work such as <laughs> the articles that you write. But just curious as to what other uh, narratives you're paying attention to around the region. I'm paying special attention to Panama. I think that the the crypto law that the country passed, I think last week, it is quite interesting because it is trying to attract what El Salvador, in my opinion, is not attracting uh, crypto fortunes. And and the approach was was very clever. I think uh, it didn't impose a uh, Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency as legal tender but decided to, I don't know, create a, a, a cool environment for, for crypto transactions. But I think that the most interesting part is the tax system that wants to replicate uh, for the crypto uh, segment. So uh, I think that Panama or uh, Panama congressmen uh, are aware of uh, the problems that El Salvador couldn't currently have with uh, security issues. Um, I, I'm I know that you know this, but uh, the government of El Salvador is is having a kind of war with gangs, with maras, uh, gang collectives in in the country. Bitcoin is not working very well. The adoption of uh, Bitcoin is, is not very high um, compared to what the government wanted uh, at the beginning. Uh, so I think that Panama could start attracting some crypto entrepreneurs um, uh, to the country. Uh, because uh, the, the tax system is, is very attractive to this kind of guys. So you're saying that, you know, whereas El Salvador, their pitch was really around, I mean, it felt like everything about the, the El Salvador Bitcoin law was really about kind of throwing red meat to like Bitcoiners yeah. on Twitter, basically, <laughs> and then getting those people excited and then getting, you know, Bitcoiners down to Bitcoin Beach. You know, you get Jack Mallers involved and you do a couple partnerships and then like, you know, Bukele is very savvy on Twitter. He knows how to get people fired up, you know, knows how to troll the US and the IMF and all these people. Right. And then, you know, obviously like, like La Bitconf was there uh, in El Salvador, which, which, which I think was really cool uh, that they hosted it there this year or last year, I should say. But you're so what you're saying is that Panama is much more like they're not necessarily taking this approach of, hey, we're just going to try to whip up as much of a frenzy on Twitter amongst these Bitcoin bros. And we're going to try to uh, maybe just start for, we're trying to attract just anybody who's like interested in this industry or this technology generally. And we want to create a safe framework here because the problem, yeah, the problem when you go full in on Bitcoin is like you kind of kick out everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're probably not going to get many Ethereum people going to El Salvador now, mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, you know, Filecoin people, I guess, because I work yeah. for the Filecoin Foundation, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but so you're kind of like limiting your universe of people that you can attract, I guess, by yep. going so hard on one commune, betting so hard on one community. Yes, yes uh, as as you as you said, uh, I totally agree. So the, the thing is that uh, Panama opened, I don't know, the game to Bitcoin, Ether. I don't 
many cryptocurrencies. But the, the most interesting thing here is that it's trying to track uh, crypto fortunes to the country, uh, trying to replicate its current uh, tax system uh, to the crypto segment. So it's going to be interesting if uh, the, the, the country uh, is able to attract that uh, crypto entrepreneurs uh, so they can establish their tax residences in, in that country. Well, are there any other key narratives that you find really interesting are that are emerging across the region right now? You know, Venezuela, Venezuela has been one of these countries where it feels like it's very, like a lot of, for it's, this has been going back for years, right? Where people have been talking about like, oh, crypto is going to save Venezuela. You know, we've got to mobilize, you know, we can, we can, uh, you know, we can circumvent the sanctions and we can circumvent the euro and all this stuff. And it seems like there there is usage that happens there. There's like like people people are using you know like Dash and like these other things. And but just it just feels like it's very there's a lot of just like misinformation and just it, like nobody really knows what's actually going on there. So I've I've kind of like just stopped paying attention to it just because it's like one of these things like I don't really know like what is even real or like you know I, anyway. I mean I mean I just I'd like your your thoughts on on Venezuela. It seems to be that. Uh... Venezuela is like an old story, you know, um, that nothing new happened in, in the last uh, two years, I mean, or one year in terms of uh, crypto. Adoption is huge compared to other Latin American countries. Uh, but at the same time, uh, people are very used to transact with crypto. Uh, that people are not using uh, Bolivars, Bolivars for, for, for um, traditional transactions. They, they are not using a lot of cash because it is quite difficult to transact with so many banknotes. Uh, so the economy is, is, is working with US dollars. Prices are uh, tagged with US, US dollars and people are using crypto to transact um, in, a, in a very uh, wide way. Um, so I, it is going to be interesting if uh, crypto companies start uh, operating in, in the country. Uh, I mean, big exchanges. Uh, you you don't you don't see that. I mean, Binance is working, but uh, not many exchanges are, are working there. So it's going to be interesting if, if they start doing that. And and the other country that it's quite interesting uh, nowadays is Cuba. Mm. I mean, the, the adoption of crypto is, is growing uh, oh, really? very faster. Yeah, very fast. Uh, not only for um, transactions, but also for payments. And last week, uh, the Central Bank of Cuba, of Cuba uh, released uh, a regulation uh, to, to provide uh, licenses for uh, uh, providers of uh, digital assets uh, services. So that's very interesting because uh, the government is trying to regulate that. And um, the, the, the Cuban government is a, is a very strong government and it wants to take control of everything that goes around right right well I, yeah i wasn't even aware of any of that to be honest i feel kind of yeah it, it is it, it is an it, it is an, an amazing story that that is going on there um we published uh, uh an opinion um article by erich garcia cruz who is a crypto entrepreneur there and 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 he says uh the the, the obvious thing that um uh, they don't have access to debit cards, credit cards, bank accounts. They just have Bitcoin. Uh, if, they, if they want to pay something, they, they use Mune um, to, to pay with a, 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 sorry, a, a virtual uh, Bitcoin uh, debit card. 
And so that, that's all they, they have. Wow. Okay. So there's definitely a clear need on the payments use case, right? On the, on the whole, you know, yeah. self-banking idea and, and just the payments. I mean, there's very practical needs there mm-hmm. that uh, crypto is servicing, uh, whether or others. How the government is trying to uh, avoid uh, the, the embargo imposed by the U.S. with crypto. We don't know that yet, but I suppose that it could be a, a very interesting way for the Cuban government to, to start avoiding that uh, U.S. embargo to transact and, and buy some stuff uh, with crypto. Interesting. I wouldn't put it past. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like seems like a good use case. I mean, I'm not endorsing that activity, but it seems like a good use case, right? Moving on here, I just wanted to kind of ask you a little bit more about like, what do you find uh, challenging about covering crypto in the LATAM region? And, and specifically, you know, kind of what we were chatting about before the before we started recording, but how, how do you translate what's happening in this region to what's to like the English speaking crypto audience, which is, you know, it's like, it's North America, it's Europe, it's, it's Asia. And, and Latin America is kind of this place where it's like, we like El Salvador, but like, yeah. Feels like people like El Salvador just because they're doing the Bitcoin experiment, not necessarily because we think El Salvador is an interesting place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it is difficult to explain uh, Latin America for uh, to a U.S. audience or, or to to an audience that is based in a developed region, and it requires several lines to add context. For example, how do you explain? Uh, to someone living in a developed country that Argentina has 10 different rates for the same currency, I mean, the US dollar, or that locals are not allowed, we are not allowed to buy other currencies apart from the Argentine peso. How to explain that? I mean, it is, <laughs> it is very complicated to, to put that uh, in, in two paragraphs or three paragraphs. Um, but I think the, the interesting here of Latin America for for places like the US or Europe, is that um, I think that the adoption path that uh, crypto had in Latin America will be the same path that we'll have in other places. Uh, Because here in in, in the region, we use crypto in a very different way compared to countries like the US. Uh, We see crypto as the only way to hedge against inflation and to protect our, our incomes from from uh, the government printing money. And I think that uh, the approach that crypto has in places like uh, the US, as I said before, or Europe uh, will change in the short term. It is changing because inflation is is getting higher worldwide. And and I think that uh, the Latin American approach of crypto will be uh, very similar uh, in in places like, like the US. That's my that's my opinion. Maybe that that's not going to happen, but I think that that it could happen in the short term. Well, I do find that at least in Brazil, I haven't spent enough time in the rest of Latin America to speak with any degree of authority on this. But at least in Brazil, I find that people are much more sort of digitally savvy uh, when it comes to using new types of technology, especially like financial technology, like app like Nubank and. And these other kind of fintech platforms and, and even just like with WhatsApp, like, you know, in Brazil, like you do everything on WhatsApp, um, you schedule your doctor's appointments on WhatsApp and, you know, it, people are just very like used to using these types of platforms and they're pretty savvy about it. So I, it makes a lot of sense that like once 
crypto is just more on people's, you know, it's just more publicly accepted and just more of a thing that people, there won't be any real, like the hurdles to adoption aren't going to be as large as they might be elsewhere because people are already used to using these types of technologies. And um, I guess I would wonder, you know, my, I guess my question to you would be um, how, how similar is that in, you know, a place like Argentina or, or other markets you've looked at? It is not the same compared to Brazil. For example, Facebook tried to uh, start uh, WhatsApp Pay, I think, in Brazil. Uh, it was a f the first country because everyone is using WhatsApp for, uh, for, for everything. So uh, the, the, the fintech adoption in Brazil is much higher in uh, compared to uh, other countries in Latin America. That's changing. I mean, uh, Argentinians and Mexicans are, are using uh, digital banks that in, in a crazy way in the last uh, uh, two years. But uh, Brazil is, is way ahead uh, compared to, to other countries. I mean, the financial education is, is higher in Brazil and the stock market uh, is higher, is, is better and is most used uh, in, in comparison to, to Argentina or Chile or Mexico. So um, we say that Brazil uh, is four years, five years ahead compared to the rest of, of the region. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's news to me. I mean, I'm a, from my perspective, I'm, I'm a gringo who's familiar with Brazil and like, still learning for the rest four, of Four or five years, maybe, maybe <laughs> a lot, but two, two years could yeah. be okay. <laughs> right, right. But no, that, that's interesting. That, that's super interesting. I think it I mean, shows. So, sorry, Newbank is a Brazilian uh, yeah. phenomenon. And, and you can see that Wala, which is uh, uh, the Argentinian uh, example or, or, or competitor of, of Newbank, start uh, several years after uh, Newbank. Right. And, 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 and they have uh, huge problems to be uh, um, established in, in Brazil. For example, Wala uh, is, is not even operating in Brazil because it knows that uh, Newbank is huge. And uh, the same happens with uh, Mexican fintechs, uh, Chilean uh, fintechs, uh, Colombian fintechs too. Mm. So they've realized they just, they can't quite compete with no. like too far behind to be able to compete with a new bank essentially in the Brazilian market, but maybe other markets are open, but uh, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, it's definitely a kind of a winner take all deal. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and to be fair, like new banks just done it. It was a great product. Like the first time I used it, I was, I, 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 I said to my wife, I'm like, wow, this is so much better than any banking product I've ever used anywhere. Right. I mean, U S or anywhere. Yes. Uh, we, we don't know we don't know when Newbank uh, is going to get into crypto. Maybe soon. They're definitely kind of flirting with it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But they're I mean they're publicly they're a public company now, so I suppose they frankly it doesn't seem like they really need it at this point. But but eventually they'll have to get into it, right? Of course, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure because, for example, on Monday uh, this week, I don't know when this will be <laughs> published, but. Um, the, the largest Argentinian uh, private bank, Banco Galicia, start operating crypto, allowing its users to buy and sell uh, Bitcoin, Ether, and um, USDC. That was a huge uh, boom for, for the Argentine market. I mean, uh, the largest uh, private bank operating crypto. And at the same time, uh, you can see that uh, the same firms that are helping Banco Alicia to operate crypto are talking to uh, different companies in Mexico 
and Brazil. So you could see in the short term, I mean, one month, two months, um, a very important process of crypto adoption by uh, traditional companies, not only traditional banks, but also uh, digital banks. I don't know Nubank, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, competitors will start using crypto in the short term. What's your take on these guys, Lemon Cash? It seems like they've had a lot of success in Argentina. They're looking to make a, a push in Brazil now. What are they offering here that's unique? I think that one of the key things for them was that uh, they were early uh, in Argentina. Now they have more than 1 million users. That's a lot in a, in a, in a country that has 45 million uh, people. I think that the, the great thing about them is that uh, they, they know how to approach young people. You can see the design of, uh, of Lemon. The marketing uh, team knows how to approach young people. And th that's an important feature for them uh, and one of the reasons uh, their success. I, I don't know how important will be the, the approach uh, in Brazil because th th they don't have all the money that Mercado Bitcoin or Bitso ha uh, have. But let's see. I mean, uh, they are good at what they do. Their target is uh, young users. I mean, between 18 and 30, just to, to, to put two numbers. And here they offer uh, earnings, uh, they offer a debit card, and they offer the possibility to uh, buy and sell crypto. And they also have a, a cashback of 2% with uh, every acquisition made with the debit card. So they've got a nice you know, product and kind of a niche product suite that will appeal to you know, a certain subset of users. So maybe there's a way, I mean, there's probably a way that they'll you know, coexist alongside. I mean, I have, I mean, just as a crypto user, I mean, though I, I, I try to experiment with a lot of these different things, but I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of room for experimentation and uh, finding the right niche with these types of product. I, I'm generally encouraged by the folks looking to sort of experiment and offer new things on this front because it's, Something that people know what they know how to do it. They know they know how their uh, customers generally know how to how to use these things. They they get you know traditional you know loyalty points or airline points or credit card points. Like they understand how this works. So I spend money, I get stuff back. Uh, it's a I see this as a pretty easy on ramp for 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 new users especially. No, I I think that uh, Lemon sees that there is room for uh, young users in in Brazil. Uh, a segment that, in my opinion, is not well covered by Mercado Bitcoin. And, and maybe Bitso will try to do that. Uh, they have a similar design pieces. I mean, uh, their style is, is quite similar. Uh, so th that, that competition would be very interesting. I mean, by the way, Bitso is, is, is doing a, is, is a great effort to grow in Brazil. Uh, with many partnerships with uh, different companies, uh, soccer clubs or football clubs, as we call them uh, in, in, in the region. So uh, the, the marketing um, approach was quite interesting. It was uh, tough. And let's see how the results will be. Everyone's kind of taking a page out of the FTX playbook now, after, you know, of sponsoring sports clubs of, <laughs> or like, you know, sporting events and stadiums and things. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of these things where, you know, how much, how much, I mean, for, for maybe somebody from my generation or older, it's like, okay, if they're sponsoring, you know, the Santos football club, like, would that, would that mean anything? I mean, maybe that means something to me, but would that mean anything mm -hmm. to like an 18 year old? I think the same. Yeah. Um, who's, who, 
something, right? You know, that appeals to more of like the boomer crowd that, uh, you know, maybe this, this is big for certain demographics, uh, but for the younger crowd, you know, if, if, if I'm understanding what you're saying is maybe these marketing tactics aren't necessarily the most effective for that. There's other ways to reach that younger crowd that might be less expensive and more effective than kind of going the FTX route and just sponsoring, you know, all these like you know, football clubs or stadiums, and things of that nature. Yes. And, and, and cheaper at the same time. Uh, I think that Lemo will have a, a cheaper approach because it doesn't have uh, the, the same amount of funds that uh, Bitso has. I don't know if, if they are planning to raise uh, a new uh, funding round. I think that they would do during this year. Uh, they raised, uh, I think, $11, $11 million uh, a few months ago, but they would have to, to raise one more. I'm, I'm quite sure this year uh, to, to start operating in Brazil um, in, in, a, in a harder way. Yeah, that's it. we'll have to follow up on this subject here, maybe on our next podcast, see how things evolve. But so to kind of wrap up here, I'd like to get your thoughts on what are the themes and narratives, both specifically in Brazil and then also in the rest of Latin America that you're looking at you know, over the rest of the year? What are you watching most closely here? I'm following uh, and we are following with Paulo and Rodrigo, our reporters in Brazil, the ETF segment in Brazil. It is, it is amazing what the country has been doing. Uh, with, with the institutional uh, crypto segment. Uh, I don't know how many ETFs, hashtags, and, and the other company uh, have launched uh, up to now, but I think that, that, that they are more than, than 10 ETFs. And that's a lot. I, I don't know if any other uh, country uh, around the world uh, did the same. Maybe you have that number, but it, it is amazing. It is, and it is huge. It has a, a, a massive potential in the next uh, few months. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems like kind of diminishing returns at this point, right? Where they just every month there's like a new a new ETF being launched, right? Uh, meanwhile, like the US, like we still don't even have an actual Bitcoin. We just have this uh, you know, kind of scam, you know, futures ETF, uh, Bitcoin futures ETF. And oh, yeah. I mean, we've been waiting for nine years now to get an actual one. So uh, so anyway, no, I, I think it's great what Brazil's been doing there. I mean, I personally wouldn't buy these products. I would just buy them on the spot. I would just buy actual Bitcoin. But I get like some people, you know, everyone has their own sort of preferences on on and risk, you know, risk tolerance levels and things. So I think it's great. I mean, we we are, we are trying to follow that because we want to check if companies are going to uh, crypto uh, products. Because the stock market is not doing very well in Brazil, and companies are very used to to participate uh, in that uh, segment. So we will see if companies, Brazilian companies, decide to go to the crypto uh, segment. Uh, we don't know that yet, but uh, we are trying to follow that. Um, and at the same time, we will follow uh, the M and A uh, sector of Brazil. We think that. Uh, that topic will be uh, the most important uh, in, in the country in the next three, four months. We will see important news. And, and we hear that companies are looking uh, for acquisitions. Uh, I mean, uh, global exchanges that are trying to, to reach 
as, as soon as possible, uh, Brazil and start operating because they, they see that Brazil is like the, the first door to start operating across uh, Latin America. And if they conquer Brazil, they will conquer the region too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and and I've said this before on in other other places, but if you look at, you know, the the map of the world now with, you know, the BRIC countries and these other emerging market countries, like there's just not that many other places you can go now. Like China, you're not going to China. Uh Russia, you're definitely not going to Russia now. India, they, like Coinbase tried going to India, then they passed this kind of, you know, law that was really restrictive and basically kicked everybody out. Uh and you know, it's like there's just the map is kind of shrinking, I guess, in terms of other places you can go to. So uh, Brazil is, is the next on the list, I guess. There is not an official number of uh, users in Brazil, but it is not, uh, uh, it doesn't represent uh, half of the population, for example, just to, to give you a number. So you, you have a, a great uh, uh, place to start. And what, what's coming ahead is, is massive. It could be massive in the short term. You have uh, companies like, uh, as I said before, uh, Coinbase entering, uh, Crypto.com is entering too. Uh, Binance is trying to make acquisitions, and and I see, and I think that you will see uh, new players, new global players entering uh, in the short term. Yeah, well, exciting stuff, uh, Andres Engler. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, final question, you know, for folks who are maybe looking to get in touch with you or, um, you know, pitch stories or anything like, like that. What are the types of things you're most interested in talking to folks about right now? We are mostly interested in, in crypto adoption. I mean, stories about crypto adoption, um, companies entering other markets in the region. I mean, if you are uh, an executive of a global company and you want to enter uh, in Brazil or Argentina or Colombia or Mexico, uh, that's a great story. Uh, I mean, important companies that are trying to 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 enter um, there, and we also publish interviews with uh, interesting people. I mean, crypto guys or crypto people that are, are doing um, interesting things uh, in in Latin America too. And also, regulatory topics are are very important for us. We also talk to lawyers. Uh, I, I don't know um, people that that know about uh, taxes. Uh, that's quite interesting for us at the same time. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Andres, and uh, we we'll hope to have you back soon. Sure. It was great. Thank you for the invitation. I had a great time. Obrigado, everyone, and thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.